Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 25, I've titled the message just very simply, therefore, we're going to be looking at the last verses of chapter 4, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know how far I'm going to get through this word this morning. I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, but you know, I want to make sure that we can have everybody um, headed home by 11 because it's not supposed to get any better. But I want to finish up chapter 4 here in Ephesians, really focusing, continuing on this unity, ministry, and maturity, focusing really today on the whole unity piece. And, and we understand here that as Paul gathers us around this last part of this chapter as we have it, but this section of the letter that he wrote, having been renewed in the spirit of our minds, we have learned that. Um, and having a new identity in Christ, we have also learned that. Paul then begins to try and pull it all together and begin to, to establish for us as God's people in God's world how it is we're supposed to live out what we call the new creation life because Jesus has given us the victory in the resurrection and his ascension. How it is we're supposed to live that out. And purposely for us, what that looks like is a community of believers. You know, right here, perhaps in Virgins, but at this particular time in this little community in Ephesus, however big that church was. And we need to understand that one of Paul's greatest themes, and we'll touch on that this morning as best as we can, was unity. There are a lot of things that Paul talks about, but if you read his letters, he was very concerned about the unity of the body of Christ and the unity of the church. Now, not uniformity. He didn't want us all to dress the same and get in line and just do exactly what everybody else does exactly the same way. But unity around the message of the gospel of Jesus and how it is we're to engage the world. The church united is a powerful, powerful thing. The church divided is no good. There's a lot of words we could choose for that, but we have to understand that when the church becomes divided and fractured, um, it, it becomes a very weak thing within this world. So when I sat down to study this passage of Scripture this week, I had in mind all of the things that were happening around the world. I don't know about the rest of you, but when I open up the London Times and I look at the Wall Street Journal and I study all of these things, you know, my heart and my mind get heavy looking at what's going on in the Middle East, looking at the struggles that are going on in all kinds of different places in the world, the issues and the concerns with all those people who are in power who seem to feel that the best way to fix this world is to carve out a little bit bigger piece of land for themselves, um, really dependent upon making sure other people are subject to their own way of thinking, forcefully or otherwise. It unsettles me. Watching each day another snarky or rude comment from people who are supposed to run these countries in this world, like the whole world's being run by a bunch of five-year-olds, is launched at another world leader just because this person didn't like what that one did or this one didn't like what that did. Gets to the point where we feel like we're on a playground when these people are supposed to be running the countries that we are dealing with in this world. It's unsettling. 
Because we have actually gotten to the point in this world where threats, sarcastic comments, cynical attitudes, and anger seem to be what we do today. It seems to be leading the charge all over our world. And it's very unsettling. We become more and more fractured as a culture and a society every single day because of that. We can't even be unified on, on anything. We can't come together on purposeful things and good things that we need to help one another as human beings across this world because we are just so frustrated with everything that's going on. We can't even have a conversation. No one, it seems to me, has any desire to sit down around a table, have a good conversation and a civil conversation about how we move forward in any real, honest, and good, unified way. So we see things that happen in Syria that we saw, and we have countries at the UN demanding that we block any kind of action to try and stop this evil stuff from happening. And then we have other countries who are saying, no, nobody wants to talk about the value of humanity. That's a sermon for another time, but these are all the things I was wrestling around with as we took a look at this particular passage. Um, Because what we end up with is self-centered, angry people fighting over the right to be right. So so I'm going somewhere with this. So be patient with me. I'm working this out. We end up with self-centered, angry people fighting for the right to be right. We just don't even know what we're fighting over. We just need to be right. Now, if unity is the call of God for his people. If we take nothing away from today, please take this away. If, the, if unity is the call of God for the people of God and ultimately for his world, then disunity is exactly what the enemy is looking for. And that's what he utilizes both inside the church as well as outside the church to keep everybody constantly at each other's throats. And we're going to work that out today because one of the overarching themes here in the book of Ephesians and especially throughout all of Paul's letters, as I said, and especially here in chapter 4, is unity. It's unity. It's not uniformity. It's not looking for everybody to have all of the same opinions, but it is unity behind the gospel and what it is we're supposed to do. Why it's important. Paul needs to let us know why it's important. What it drives us to as a people. And how it is we're to maintain that unity amongst a whole diverse group of people who don't think the same, don't look the same, don't come from the same backgrounds. And one of the keys to the transforming power of the gospel is the unity of the body of Christ. See, The power of the gospel is made powerless when the body of Christ is not unified behind the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is and what it is we're supposed to be doing in this world. And, you know, last week I sat down and I wanted to take from verse 17 all the way to the end of this chapter. And I discovered that was a little bit too big of a bite to take. Um, Trying to see all that Paul was telling us because it works together. But we'd have been here for three hours last week and it would have been unproductive. And as usual, that doesn't work. So it's just too much. But then I sat down here this week and I shortened it up from verses 25 down to 32. And I still had a hard time trying to squeeze this in to, to talk about what it is we need to look at. Because when you wrestle this through, he turns the corner, Paul does here, with the word therefore. And everybody knows that when there's therefore, we have to ask what therefore is therefore. And Paul's turning a corner here. So that means what comes next here in this chapter is going to flesh out what we learned about last week. Certain things that we weren't supposed to do last week. You don't want to operate this way, but you want to operate this way. Paul continues to build on that this week as we take a look at the last part of this chapter. 
So we need to realize that what he's trying to do for us is that telling us that being a Christian meant that our life is hidden with Christ and God. We learned that last week. That the truth was actually found in Jesus. We don't define our own truth. The truth is found in Jesus. And that meant that we shouldn't live and act like we used to live before we came to know Jesus. Although sometimes we do, which is why he reminds us that we have to put to death, therefore, what belongs to the sinful nature. We are not perfect. If you think you're perfect, you have a pride issue, which means you're not perfect. So just get in line with the rest of us. We're all broken. We're just broken in different ways. And that's okay. Once we identify that, we can move forward, understanding that Jesus is Lord and King, and he wants what's absolutely best for us. So Paul tells us we ought to put off all that old stuff. And to me, I liken it to taking off dirty clothes. I was rolling around in the mud out in the backyard and doing all kinds of stuff. And you come in and you got it in your ears and in your eyes like any little boy would have. And your mom looks at you and you've just walked across the clean floor. And we know how that works. But, you know, it's already too late. So you gotta, you got to take off all of those dirty clothes. you got to get in the tub. you got to scrub yourself. you got to get all the little potato-growing stuff out of your ears and all of that stuff. And then put on brand-new clean clothes and head out into what? A fresh brand new day. That's the picture that we should take when we're talking about being clothed with Christ. It's the taking off of all of the dirty stuff and putting all the new stuff on so that we can walk forward in a good way. Then the therefore begins to, to help us a lot more because as a community of believers, we got to start new creation living in a particular way and it's not our way. It's not our way. Paul says, therefore, having put away what? Falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And Jesus defined for us who our neighbor was. And we can look that up if we want in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But then Paul continues, for we are members of one another. A united body of believers, small church, little community. We are united one to another. We are members of one another. Why? Because Christ has made us brothers and sisters. Therefore, we put off falsehood. We speak the truth and we do so with each other and with our neighbor. Paul starts here and he runs off, I've discovered nine things. And because we don't have all day today, we're not going to cover them all. But he, he runs off nine things in these last few verses that I want us to wrestle through. I leave most of them with you to do so today and tomorrow and throughout the week when you get home. Prayerfully asking the Lord, what do I need to work on and where am I having victory? So we can be encouraged in all of those things. Because the first thing he says is what? We don't lie. We just don't lie. It's our natural inclination in nature, especially when we're trying to save our own skin. Don't lie. I don't need to expand on that. We all understand what that means. So we speak the truth, which means we don't lie. They kind of go hand in hand. Um, not being flippant or anything like that, but that's just, that's, we need to be able to speak the truth. And we do so in a particular way. And then he turns the corner again and he says, be angry, but do it the right way. Letting us know that we're allowed to be angry which is great for those of us who have tempers. But it's not great when he says, no, 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 no. There's a right way to be mad and a wrong way to be mad. And that's one of the things we're going to focus on this morning as we can get to it. And then he says, don't go to sleep without dealing with your anger. And I find that interesting because how many of us, usually after dinner, don't raise your hand, but just think this through. <laughs> how many of us have an argument with our spouse? And we can't settle it out and we can't work it and we go to bed and we go to bed frustrated. We go to bed angry. Okay, Maybe it's just me. I'm really doubting it. This happens. We, then we get up the next morning because we went to bed mad. We get up the next morning. We're still mad. We kind of remember why we were mad. 
And we go on about our day, stewing about being mad. And then by the end of the day, we're even madder than we were, but we don't really remember why we were mad. We just know that we're mad. Or we've got 50 other reasons as to why it is we're angry. This is why it is we're supposed to be angry a right way and why it is we're supposed to, at the very least, agree to disagree and pray for one another before we go to sleep. You don't necessarily have to settle out every issue, but when we put our heads on our pillow at night, Lisa and I will look at each other if we have a disagreement, and that happens more often than I care to admit, but there you have it in front of you. And we agree that we love one another and that we will begin dealing with this in the morning in a good way, but it's time for us to go to sleep and that we love one another and then we head off to sleep. We've come to an agreement that, okay, we may not be in the same spot, but at least we're going to deal with it the appropriate way. Why? Why does Paul tell us that? Because that gives what? The devil a foothold if we don't handle it correctly. It becomes a weak spot in our life for him to begin to make effort in and turn a corner for us. He then tells us to do an honest day's work. Now, I know for most of us that is um, an easy thing to do. For most of us, we have to be told to back it off a few hours in a given week because we're always overworking what it is we're supposed to. But there was obviously some issues within the Ephesian church and the Thessalonian church as well where people weren't really just doing an honest day's work. They were still operating the way they used to before they came to Jesus. So do an honest day's work. And there's reasons behind that as well. And then he says, avoid corrupt talk, gossip and slandering, bad-mouthing, all of that stuff. Now, how do I know that those are the things we're supposed to avoid? Well, it's all right there in the text. I mean, this is a pretty easy thing to preach while it's pretty convicting to have to go through it. It's fairly simple because Paul maps it out for us. We don't want to do these things, as I said. This is what he started with last week. But these are the things we want to do. And we don't want to do these things because the effect of those things puts us in a place, in a position where we're not walking in Christ and it causes disunity. Whether it be in your personal relationship, whether it be in your corporate relationship, whatever it may be, you're in disunity. So we have to be careful. We want to encourage people rather than tear them down. Um, And again, you know, that is not, that's not the normal way of being, I guess is the best way to frame it. You just, again, cynical, sarcastic, biting comments seem to be the rule of the day. If we have nothing nice to say, we say it twice as much. That's how it works. And that's not the way we're supposed to do things because that brings and promotes disunity when we do that. Rather, we're supposed to give encouraging words, give words that fit the moment he continues to tell us. Those words give grace. Those words extend grace, especially sometimes when we don't necessarily feel these are the things we want to say, but we know they're the things that we have to say. They extend grace over people. I have to have grace extended over me more often than I care to admit, but it's a good thing, and that actually promotes unity. That promotes peace. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He talks about that here in this text as well. He says that you're sealed in him for the day of redemption. That's why we don't want to grieve him. We were bought at a price. So we want to be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, the question always is, is, well, what exactly grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, it's pretty simple. It's walking in the ways we shouldn't walk. That's one thing. When we're told we ought to do this, and we don't do this on a regular basis, instead we do this, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're a child of the king. You've been bought at a price. You are sealed in Christ, which means in order for that 
to work itself out completely in our lives, we ought to walk here. So when we don't, God the Holy Spirit becomes grieved because we're choosing to do things that he's already taken care of for us and cleansed us from and freed us to not do anymore. And when we do all of that stuff, you see, we need to let go of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. All of it needs to go. This is why Paul sometimes is so uncomfortable to read because he's so clear. He's writing all these things down because there's people that are dealing with this. He says, get rid of all that stuff. Why? Because all of these things create disunity in the body. They, they, they fracture families. They fracture friendships. They fracture communities. They mess up countries. And I keep going and going and going and going. But these things create disunity and fracture our world. And that grieves the heart of God. So we always want to be careful to be encouraged to fight against falling into those things. You see, we can't focus on all nine of these things today because we've got about ten minutes left. But I, I want to tackle the anger one. And maybe it's just because I have anger issues. I don't know. But I, this is something that Paul not only addresses here, but he references the Old Testament in support of this statement that he makes about being angry and sinning not. So to me, when that happens in the text of Scripture, we have to kind of park ourselves there and figure out what's going on. So that's what I did this week. And I I started with two things. Verse 2 and verse 32 that bookend this chapter, I think are important for us. Verse 2 says this, that we are to do what? Um, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. But it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? Love. Okay, that's, that's a great, great thing for us to do. He then closes the chapter by saying, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So he bookends this chapter by saying, you are the people of God. Here is how you're supposed to operate. He ends this chapter with, this is how you're to be kind with one another. And all the stuff in between is helping us understand what we used to be like and what we actually are like in Christ. So He's got this anger piece going on that we can't, we can't deal with, that we, we have to let the Lord take care of. Because when you deal with the forgiveness piece at the end of chapter 4, what do we have going on there? We've got the Lord's Prayer all over again. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's a reminder that in order for us to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus, we have to learn to forgive. It's not something that comes naturally. So the minute that we're told we need to learn to forgive and we step into that, okay, Lord, I have a hard time with this, but help me step into that. That's where we begin to grow. You see, the work of Christ and the transforming power of the gospel allows us to bear with one another in love. As we step into the truth of what it is Jesus is trying to do for us, the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the likeness of Christ because that's what God wants. So as the people of God united as the family of God, The church united becomes, guess what? The gospel agent of reconciliation in a world that is absolutely falling apart. And there's only one way that we can be the agents of reconciliation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. That's being in the world. Don't ever think for a minute that being the best Christian you can be is being standoffish and away from anything and anyone that doesn't belong to the church. You're doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. 
We're all doing it wrong if we think that's the case. As people who have been given the ministry of reconciliation, we have to be where people need to be reconciled. Not where we're comfortable. That challenges us to be out beyond ourselves. Being in this world but not of this world. Being faithfully present within. Because Paul tells us that Jesus gave us that ministry. He didn't leave us here to do nothing. He left us here to be the people of God in his world, to proclaim the gospel of Christ, sharing the ministry of reconciliation that says you have been reconciled because of what Jesus did on the cross. Step into that relationship. So working out these truths in our day-to-day living is important for us. All of these things that he's talking about as we look at the interpersonal relationships that are going to be coming up in chapter 5. How I handle my relationship with Lisa is going to be mapped out and critical because there's a way that that's supposed to happen. How I'm supposed to map out my relationships with my children, even as older children. That's all in chapter 5. Paul's setting us up for this is how individually you work so that you can begin working your interpersonal relationships out in the right way being open, being vulnerable, and yet at the same time being loving and and holding one another to account. How you children are supposed to operate towards your parents. That's important too, lest we think that our kids get a free pass on something like this. No. How I operate towards my parents. All of that is there. It helps us. So in other words, what Paul's doing for us here is we get complete covering of life itself. Life itself. All mapped out in Ephesians 4 and 5. So it's not just our Sunday acknowledgments of God where we've come here for an hour and a half and we get to go home. It's how it is we actually deal with other humans in a way that brings glory to God through the name of Jesus. And that's the challenge that we have. And understanding this, I, I want you to know that I promise you it will get you in trouble. It will get you in trouble every single time because we are dealing with an antagonistic culture that doesn't want those types of relationships defined in the way that the Bible defines them. But we love people in spite of that. And we live out the gospel of God's grace in front of folks like that. We don't demand that they do what we do. You can't do that. You can't do that. But we live out the gospel of grace in front of people. Um, it's, it's one of the things that we have to always be careful about. And I, I wrestled through whether I wanted to hit on this as we, we begin to wrap this up. But I think it's important given what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. Um, we also have to be careful as Christians how it is um, we fight for and exercise our personal rights within the cultures that we live in. It's not that we allow everything to just take over and pinch us in a corner. But what I've seen within the evangelical community over the last three, five, and even ten years is that the church has become so absolutely fractured over issues and things that have zero to do with the gospel. They have to do with world systems. They have to do with personal preferences They have to do with us demanding that other people think, act, and and may I say, vote the way we vote. So within the Christian community, we've actually fractured ourselves off, whether it be intentional or otherwise, 
Because we're focusing not on gospel truth and how we're supposed to live out, understanding that we are to be a particular way in this world. But we, we divide ourselves over things that have nothing to do with gospel truth, that have to do with a broken worldly system. All of that stuff divides. So we have to be real careful in that respect. And I know it's a hard thing to wrestle through. I taught a class yesterday, and we spent almost 40 minutes trying to wrestle this through for some young people who are trying to figure out how do we obey the laws of this land and still obey the laws of God and keep unity. Well, understand that in America, we've been taught that there is no suffering for the gospel. It's all, you know, puppy dogs and cupcakes. No, I had to help them understand that, you know, it's going to cost. Sometimes it's going to cost. We have to obey God rather than obey man. And then we have to sort that out. And the dynamic tension of unanswered questions in that to keep the unity of the body through the bond of peace is important. That's a hard one to wrestle through. And I, I say that because Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen, didn't he? There's three separate occasions where he actually exercised his right as a Roman citizen. And he did so not for the protection of himself. Read the stories right straight through. He exercised his right in order for the advancement of the gospel to get him to Rome, to appeal to Caesar, to keep himself safe so he could bring testimony to the gospel. And it actually didn't protect him, did it? Where did Paul end up? Prison. Why? Because he was focused on the gospel. Keeping Caesar in check and letting Caesar know that there is another king. There's a true king. And he's the one that brings unity. He's the one that brings ultimate peace. He's the one that will bring what this world needs. And that upsets Caesar a great deal. You see, our Christian life is to shine light in dark places. In order for that light to shine in dark places, we have to love the unlovable in a way that shows Jesus is king, which means we need to be in those places where the unlovable people are. It's not hard for me because most times I'm an unlovable person. So it's easy for me to find an unlovable person. But there you have that. A church that is not united and unified around the gospel of Jesus is absolutely powerless. It can't do what it is called to do in this world. And Paul is adamant here that there's a particular way we're supposed to behave, a particular way we're supposed to act, a particular way we're supposed to respond. And it gets sorted out not from the outside into the text of Scripture, but from the text of Scripture out. We maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace by understanding that Jesus and Him and Him alone comes first. Not me, not even my personal preferences, but what is it Jesus has called me to do? What is He holding me to as His child in order to maintain the unity in the home? Now, that doesn't mean that I just continue to get whipped and kicked under the bus where you have unhealthy relationships. No, like I said, chapter 5 helps us understand what those relationships look like. So Paul doesn't leave us abandoned. But it's Jesus first and how it is we operate that unity within the spirit and the bond of peace in this world. When we begin to do that, the world can't look at the church and say, you ain't no different than we are. Which is what happens a lot right now. The world looks at the church and says, why bother? You're not any different than we are. 
Because we get, we're fractured. We get divided over things that have nothing to do with the gospel. Now, personal convictions on how it is we do particular things, go ahead. That's not what I'm speaking of. I'm talking about the church gets divided over things that are other than gospel truth. I, I, I leave you with this. I, I travel probably more than I care to. But I, I deal with a lot of churches and I have never once in all of my years of ministry, which is pushing 30 years now, almost 12 years full time, I have never once gone to a church and had a bored person look at me and go, you know, that pastor preaches way too much about that Jesus. We just need to get rid of him. I've never had that. What I hear a lot of, though, is I don't like the songs. I don't. I don't like the. I don't like the banners on the wall. Why did Pastor have to go from pews to chairs? I think I. I had somebody. I think I need to find a new place to be, because he he went from pews to chairs. That's what fractures churches. Things that have nothing to do with the gospel. Paul challenges us here in Ephesians. He challenges us everywhere to be united in the Spirit. Uniquely you, every one of us in this room as I look as the worship team comes up is completely different. And that's okay. But united in the truth of the gospel, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, walking through all of these pieces that Paul gives us here in Ephesians 4 ought to encourage us. That way I can be smack dab in the middle of a room with people who completely disagree with me. But if we are a brother or a sister in Christ, we have common ground to start and then we work our way out from there bringing the unity. That's where power is. You want to see the church operating in power? Look for the church that's united in the cause of Christ. And you'll find power. And perhaps you might even find some signs and wonders going on. Just perhaps. Let's pray and close in one last song. Father, as we just come before you to sing one last song and we go about our way today, remind us just how passionately you love each one of us, that you have called us, you have made us uniquely who we are. Remind us that each one of us is on a different different journey because we're gifted differently. We're called to do different things. But we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been united under the headship of Jesus, sealed in the Holy Spirit. And we are kept in you because of what Jesus did. Help us always to remember that. Help us always to remember that and sort out all of the struggles that each of us has every day in light of what it is you have done for us and the unbelievable grace that you have showered out upon us. Lord, I thank you for everybody here and everybody who couldn't be here today. I pray that you watch over them, that you would pour your spirit out upon them, that you would encourage them, that you would just remind them, Lord, how much you love them. We just give you thanks, Father, as we close in one last song. If you're in need of prayer, um, know that there's some folks that are going to be around. Don't leave without it, but we just give you thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name.